So how many of you uh, have, in, within the last week, have struggled in some kind of a relationship? Anybody? Anybody? You know, one of the hardest things in relationships is confrontation, right? In knowing how to confront people in a, in a righteous way, in a godly way, in a way that honors both the person and, most importantly, honors the Lord. And so today we're going to be covering a story. Well, thank you. I realized I, had, I brought my laptop this morning and it was completely dead, so it died overnight. So what's that? Okay. So, um, but as we talk about relationships today, uh, we're going to be talking, it's this really bizarre story that's just kind of stuck in the middle. It's talking, you know, we're going through the book of Mark, so we're talking about the disciples and how the disciples um, and Jesus were walking along, they were doing miracles, casting demons out, raising people from the dead. It's, I mean, all these crazy things. And then all of a sudden, there's this bizarre story that's stuck right in the middle about Herod and about John the Baptist. And so we're going to cover that story. I really wrestled because I thought, I don't know if I want to really like, go into it because it's kind of a gruesome story. And I was, I was struggling a little bit to see how it would relate to our everyday lives. Um, but I'd just like to ask if you would pray for me as I go into this um, I think our hearts are heavy <sighs> with uh, the, the mass shootings. Apparently, there was another one last night in Ohio that I hadn't even heard about until I got here this morning. Um, and so the more I think about it, the more I think how this particular story really does have something to say to us and really does have something to speak to us. So if, if you would indulge me and just pray with me. Well, Lord, we, we thank you that you are the God of miracles. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who was and who is and who is to come. And Lord, we need you, Lord. We need you desperately. And we thank you, Lord, that you promised that you would never leave us, that you would never forsake us, Lord. And so, God, as we come into your word today, I pray that you would speak to each and every person in whatever area they need to hear from you, Lord, to hear your voice. Lord, I thank you so much that last week, Lord, you heard us. You heard our cries. Lord, you heard our prayers asking you for miracles. And I just pray today that you would do the same, Lord, that the name of Jesus would be lifted up above everything else. Lord, that our eyes would be fixed on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Lord, that we would not shrink back, Lord, in any area of our lives when it comes to bringing you honor and bringing you glory. And so, Father, we just surrender our hearts to you today. Speak to me and through me, Lord. I pray for each and every person here that they would hear your voice. Lord, that they, would, that they would know what you are speaking to them at whatever stage of growth they're, they're, they're living in in this particular season of their lives. And so, Lord, we just humble ourselves. I humble myself, Lord, and I just pray for your presence. Bring your presence, Lord. That's what we contend for. We pray for your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, you know what? You're looking really good this morning. 
Okay, now turn to him and say, but I am still going to confront you. <laughs> no, just kidding. <clears throat> okay, so again, we've been covering this whole section uh, Last week, we were talking about when Jesus went back to his hometown. And remember, it says he could do no miracles there because of their lack of faith, because of their unbelief. It says that, I mean, it says that he healed a few people, you know, he, I mean, he still did miracles, but not to the extent that he desired to. And that has been my prayer, is that God would begin to do miracles on behalf of this family, this church family, that he would do those things that we have cried out for for years, whether it's um, relationship issues, whether it's kids who have walked away from the Lord, whether it's financial or health or whatever it is, that we believe in a God of miracles. I mean, we sang it over and over and over. And the reason that I, I like that song, and I know that it's, it's redundant, it's repetitive, but I think sometimes we have to, the Lord has to remind us again and again and again that he is a God of miracles and that we can believe in him. Remember, we talked last week in John 6, 29, it says, the work of God is this, that you would believe in the one whom he has sent that you would believe in Jesus. Just like Brad said, you know, our God is an awesome God. And I think we get so used to just coming in, doing church and leaving. And God is saying, no, I want to, I want to experience something, or I want you to experience something deep about me. I want you to experience something new each and every time you come in here. I mean, every day he wants us to. And you know, as you open up the Bible, it's like, it can come to life concerning your particular situation. But today we're going to talk about a story that is a, it's a costly confrontation. This is John the Baptist. And you remember, it says in the beginning of Mark, it says in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before you who will prepare your way before you. This is the job that John the Baptist had was to prepare the way for Jesus. He blazed a trail for Jesus. And remember, Jesus came into the wilderness and John baptized him. But this particular story, as I mentioned, is a very strange story. It's kind of dropped kind of in the middle between the mission and then what ends up happening in, in the life of Jesus as Jesus walked upon the earth. Now, this particular Herod was Herod Antipas. Um, Herod is just a term for a leader, for a ruler. He was a ruler of a, of a fourth of his dad's kingdom. Now, his dad was a wicked, wicked man. His dad was the Herod that put, wanted to put the babies to death when Jesus was an infant or when Jesus was young. That's this Herod. And he was an evil, evil man. Um, in this family line, this is, I mean, this would be an amazing movie, um, probably rated R. But I mean, this, this family is so convoluted and so wicked. I mean, there's intermarrying, there's incest, there's uh, lots and lots of murder. And he, even so, he still aligned himself with the Jews. He claimed to be a Jew. Um, his father, his name was Herod the Great. And, um, and so... His fourth wife, sounds like, sounds like Utah, his fourth wife was the mother of this particular Herod that we're going to be talking about today. 
the, Herod the Great was so evil. How evil was he? Um, Her, this Herod the Great was so evil that he even had several of his own sons killed. I mean, how wicked do you have to be to kill your own offspring? There was actually a saying. It said, it would be better to be Herod's pig than to be his son. Because he was Jewish, so he wouldn't touch a pig, but he would kill his own son. It just reminds me of like Saddam Hussein, you know? It's just sheer wickedness. And I think that it is undeniable, and and I know that I say this a lot, but we cannot deny that this world that we are living in is becoming increasingly more and more and more wicked. But there was wickedness going on back here too. So if you would turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 6, starting with verse 14, it says, Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus. Well, of course he did. Jesus was raising people from the dead, casting demons out, healing, doing all these miracles. Okay, so of course one of the rulers would have heard of Jesus. It says, everyone was talking about Jesus. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist, raised from the dead. Now, why in the world do you think that they would think that? They just didn't give Jesus credit. And it's still the same today. Nobody wants to admit that Jesus is who he says he is. You know, that's still something that we contend with even today. But it says, excuse me, This must be John the Baptist. That's why he can do such miracles. Others said he's the prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah had been dead for a thousand years at this point. Um, Still others said he's a prophet, like the other great prophets of the past. Now, when Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead. What? Why would he think this? I mean, what delusion is he dealing with? Um... It says, Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. Okay, now this is where the weirdness comes in. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. So he married his sister-in-law, and it says, and John had been telling Herod, John the Baptist, had been telling Herod, it's against the law for you to marry your brother's wife. Okay, so there's all kinds of stuff going on here. It's, he, he's, he's not really wanting to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. But John the Baptist comes in, he confronts him about um, his wickedness about marrying his sister-in-law because this is against the Jewish law. And so Herod, again, is saying that he's Jewish. And so John the Baptist is trying to say, this is against the law. And this is as I was reading this, I was thinking, isn't this what happens when, when people don't want to acknowledge that God is who he says he is, that you become deluded and you start to get all these ideas about who God really is. And you know, you know, you hear all of these ideas about who Jesus is. You know, the, the world has all kinds of opinions about who Jesus is. He's, you know, a lot of people think, oh, he's, he's a really good political activist, you know, that he would have been, he would have been the one who would have been uh, going to the mat for the poor, and he would have been, because he did, he, he spoke out and, and said that we need to be feeding the poor, we need to be uh, ministering to those people who are kind of down and out and those people who are in prison and the people that are, that are broken and hurting. And Jesus was. He was a really good political advocate, but he never ran for office or anything. He 
probably, I don't know if you would have won. Um, a lot of people think Jesus was just like this, oh, he's just so, he's just so meek and mild. But Jesus is the one who said that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And Jesus is the one who said, you know, unless you deny yourself, you, you can't have no part in my life. I mean, Jesus said some pretty, pretty hard things. A lot of people don't want to believe that he's God, but they want to believe that he's a really good teacher. But obviously, if you don't believe all of his teachings, then you don't really believe, because he said he was God. Jesus claimed to be God on numerous occasions. And so people don't want to believe that he really is God. So they're just like, well, he was just a really good philosopher. He's a really good teacher. But that's what happens when you don't acknowledge who God really is. And when you don't allow the spirit of God to speak to you, you can get deluded about who God is. And even when we go through trials, when we go through hardships, you know, you can start to believe lies about God. You think, well, God God's left me, or God's rejected me, or God doesn't care about me, or God doesn't love me, right? Aren't these the things that can creep in when we're going through a hardship or a trial? You're going through something you've been going through for 20 years, and you think, ugh, God's forgotten me. But the Bible says, no, he will never forget you. It says, even as a nursing mother can forget the baby that's nursing, God will never forget you. It says he looks on you with compassion, so no matter what you're going through, he will not forget you. He, I, I heard Lisa Bevere say something so good. She said, the, the pain and the struggle that you went through last year is in order to have the strength to go through what you're going to go through this year. That, that it wasn't just because God you know, was mad at you or he wanted to just punish you says he disciplines us for our good. So moving on um, in this, it says in uh, verse 17, it says, Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. Now Herodias is the woman that he had married. She had been her brother Philip's wife, but Herod married her and John had been telling him it's against, again, God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. And so, this is her plan. This is the plan that she had. It says in verse 19, Herodias bore a grudge against John the Baptist, and she wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. So, um, for Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and a holy man, he protected him. Now, isn't this strange? Here's this evil, evil guy, this evil ruler, but whenever he hears John, he respected him. He respected his words. It says, Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. There was something in Herod that knew that what John the Baptist was saying was true. This is something that, that Herod, even though there, he was, I believe he was a tormented soul. I believe that he was really torn. Like, I really believe what this guy is saying. I really, I, I really respect him. And what he says makes so much sense. And I want to believe this, but I don't want to give up this power. I don't want to give up my life. So here's what happens. Verse 21, it says, Herodias's chance finally came on Herod's birthday. It says, he gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter 
also named Herodias, or also Salome, that's, that's also her name, she came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Okay, now I want you to imagine this scene. So this is Herod, and he's celebrating his birthday. Now, they didn't really celebrate birthdays. It wasn't that big a deal, except that he, he had, was kind of hanging out with a bunch of Romans. Romans really celebrated birthdays big. And so they're having this big party. It was probably for, for gentlemen only. And here he has his wife's daughter come in and do this seductive dance for all these old men, not old, but lewd men. Here they are watching this. She's like, she's probably 16 years old. And this is what, this is, I mean, imagine again, the wickedness of the mother suggesting this, saying, here, go ahead, go ahead and do that dance. And so it says that, um, his daughter named Herodias came in, performed a dance. It's called the dance of the veils. It's kind of, I mean, it's kind of like stripping. And it says, and it greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. Well, first of all, he did not have the right to give anything away. So he's just giving this, this empty boast to her. He's like, come on, I can give you anything. And he says, he says, he vowed, I will give you whatever you ask up to half my kingdom. Okay, now remember, the guy's probably drunk and he's trying to impress all of his guests at his birthday party. So he's saying, anything you want, ask me for anything. I'll give you up to half, half my kingdom. Well, he didn't even have the right to give that away according to the Jewish law. It says, and she went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Now think about this wicked Herodias. She's kind of like Jezebel. I mean, she is, in, she is pure evil. And her mother said, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. How disgusting is that? Here they are at this banquet. And she's saying, I want the head of John the Baptist on a tray. You see, this is so evil and so wicked. And then it says, and the king deeply regretted what he had said. But because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he could not refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and to bring it to him. Now you think about what's going on in our culture today. You think about the evil, you think about the wickedness, you think about the things that are going on. And you know, I remember when I first became a Christian, whenever I would read the Bible, I would always be so confused because I'd think, well, this was in the Bible, so it must be right. This must be, this must be the way that you're supposed to live. But, you know, so many things just conflicted with what was in my spirit and what was in my heart. And, you know, I, I studied philosophy in college, and we talked a lot about the moral law. And, and it says in Romans that the law has been written on our hearts. I mean, there is an innate sense in us of what is right and what is wrong. And our consciences become, can become seared if we just continue to go down that path. But even like with my little two-year-old grandson, it's like he'll do something. Like you'll say, hey, you know, don't touch that, you know, and then he'll go over and touch it. And then he just gives you that look. Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
There is that innate sense in us. We know what is right and what is wrong. So I really believe that when John the Baptist came to Herod, one of the reasons that Herod was so tormented and so torn was because he knew that what John was saying was true. And it was truth. And I believe that Herod was probably stuck. Like he probably didn't want to live that lifestyle, but he was also too afraid to give everything up for the kingdom of God. You know, you can imagine he has all this power. I'm sure he had lots of material possessions. Um, He had, you know, obviously he was married to a very powerful woman. And so he didn't want to give that up. But I think that when, when John came to him, there was something in him that said, what this guy is saying is right. You know, the, the moral law has been written in our hearts. And like I said, you know, if, if you just continue to ignore that, you can have a seared conscience, the Bible says. Your, your conscience can just deceive you. But it says in 1 Corinthians 10... When it's talking about the Bible, it's talking about the things in the Old Testament. It says, these things happened as a warning so that we would not crave the evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. It says, skip down to verse 11. It says, these things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us. And I, you know, I talk about the bold print verse. I talk about the verse that God just puts in there, even though you've read it several times. This is, what, this is what struck me. It says, they were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. These things were written for us because we can read these examples in the Old Testament of the wickedness. And again, we are Israel. I mean, we'd like to believe that we're better than the Israelites, but the fact is, we, we continue to walk away from God, and God continues to forgive us. He continues to, br- to bring us back. We continue to go off the path, and he continues to bring us back in, and he continues to forgive us, and he continues to pour out his love on us. But we are just like Israel, and all the battles and all the things that go on in the Old Testament, it says these are things that, ha- that happened as examples to us. These are the things we can avoid. I mean, reading through the Old Testament, it's like there's some really gruesome stuff in the Bible. You know, there's some really gruesome stuff. And I don't even want to say it. It's weird. It's, it's in the Bible, but it's like I don't even like to talk about some of it because it is so brutal. But, it, but we're supposed to learn from this, that we see these things. We see the wickedness. We see the evil, and we're supposed to learn from this. And here's where I think we go off as believers, as as disciples of Christ, as Christians, I think we sometimes think that it's our job to show people in the world how they're wrong. That our message is, you know, you've heard the saying, I'm sure, people identify more um, what Christians don't believe in or the things that they're against rather than the things that they're for. And this is my, this is my, passion right here is that all of us would carry a message of good news. That we wouldn't be the ones who, when you walk into work, people are like, there's that judgmental Christian. Or even, you know, again, social media can be used for good and it can be used for evil. Make sure that you use it for good. Make sure you don't use it to divide we can speak 
good things about our God. We can speak these things so that people, even like Herod, who seem to be so so stuck in their wickedness and so stuck in their ways and so contrary to God, that people who are, who are torn, they can hear the truth. They can hear the good news that God loves you. God forgives you. God wants to redeem you. You know, we have that message, but I think a lot of times we get the reputation for being the, the judgmental ones, and we're the ones who are telling people what they're doing wrong. And this is not what we're called to do. We're called to bring what? Good news. We're called to bring the gospel. And, and I, I love this part here in verse 26 when it says, the king deeply regretted what he had said. It says he deeply regretted making that vow because he really liked John. He, he clearly really liked him. He respected him. He loved listening to him. It says, but because of the vow he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. And I know this is kind of a heavy message, but, but I really feel like, you know, in light of everything that's going on, I, there were four major shootings this week. One week. Tell me it is not the increase of wickedness. In 2 Timothy 3, it says, you should know this, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. We are living in difficult times. It says, people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. Does it sound like the culture we're living in now? The entitlement and the lack of gratitude. And, and it says, they will consider nothing sacred. It says they'll be unloving and unforgiving. They'll slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and they will hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless. They'll be puffed up with pride and they will love pleasure rather than God. They'll act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And here's what the Bible warns. It says, stay away from people like that. You know, I think sometimes we get torn because we know that we're supposed to be a light in the darkness. We're supposed to be a light to the people in the world who are stuck in darkness. But the Bible is really clear that you should be with them, be in the, in the world, but not of it. That you should look distinct from them and not because you're judgmental or because you're condescending or looking down on them. But they should question, why is it that you're so loving you know, why is it that you're so humble? And this is the opportunity for us to be able to share that God is so good, that I'm so grateful. God is so kind and he is so nice and he, he loves you. This is the message that we're called to bring. It says here, stay away from those people who are, um, you know, disobedient and unforgiving and hateful and, and all of that. It's saying stay away from them. But it, what it doesn't mean is is don't share Christ with them. It means stay away from like an intimate fellowship, uh, uh, you know, that you're involved in the same things they're involved in. Does this make sense? You see this, the distinction? It's we have to be a light because Jesus calls us to be a light. It says don't hide your light under a bushel or under a basket. It says let your light shine so that people can see your good works and praise God. So it's, there's that balance there between being, 
being with people, but not being like them. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. And it says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, this is not my favorite part, but this is the Bible. This is what the Bible says. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They'll deceive others and will themselves be deceived. This is the warning that we have. We will be persecuted. We will be mocked. If we stand up for righteousness, we stand up for Christ, we stand up, we will be mocked. But, but here it says in verse 27, it says, immediately Herod sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldiers beheaded John in the prison and they brought his head on a tray and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. But when John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and they buried it in a tomb. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, our bodies will be buried in brokenness but they'll be raised in glory. They will be buried in weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. And 2 Timothy 4 says, a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. Are you seeing this now? Are you seeing this around you? On Facebook and in the news and... Hi, Woody. Are you seeing, are you seeing this? That people, they won't even put up with sound teaching. I mean, we're moving more and more in that direction. It says they're going to follow their own desires. They will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They'll say, you know what? Jesus forgives you for everything. You can do whatever you want. Jesus will just forgive you for everything. Go out and sin. Go ahead. Go do whatever you want. Jesus will forgive you. This is what people want to hear. Their itching ears want to hear this. It says um, they'll reject the truth and they will chase after myths. You know, there's one major denomination right now, and they have a list of the topics that you're not even allowed to discuss because they're so concerned about growing and, and getting bigger. But, but what I see is like Jesus says in the last days, the love of most will grow cold. Jesus has warned us. He said, there's going to be the increase of wickedness. But here's our hope. Here is our hope. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. That we will be persecuted. It says here, it says a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires. They'll look for teachers to tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear and they will reject the truth. Chase after myths, but you, this is, this is for us. You should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Don't be afraid of telling people about Jesus. Don't be afraid of sharing the good news. Don't be afraid of talking about how great our God is, how awesome our God is, how God has redeemed us, how he saved us from hell. Don't be afraid, don't shrink back you might be persecuted. As a matter of fact, it says you will be persecuted, but don't be afraid. It's saying don't be afraid. 
work at telling others the good news and carefully carry out the ministry God has given you. Carefully. And this is, this is something that goes so contrary to our comfort level. But our God is so great and he is so worthy of our praise. Look for those opportunities to bring him honor. Look for those opportunities to tell people who are broken, to tell them the truth. I'm not saying you're going to be beheaded like John the Baptist, but you might. I mean, realistically, we don't know what's going to happen. We really don't know what's going to happen. But I know, I can tell you this, our world is in trouble. Apart from Jesus, apart from the hope that is in the gospel, our world is in a world of hurt. Can we just stand? And I know, like I said, I know that this is a really heavy message. And I, I just feel like we need to know what the Bible really says. We need to know what to look forward to so that if and when these things happen to us, we won't be shocked. We won't be surprised. You know, we weren't called to live a life of comfort. We were called to live a life that brings honor and glory to God. That is what we're called to. And he even tells us, count the cost. Count the cost. Because we will suffer persecution. There, you know, there will come a time when people won't put up with sound, they won't, it, they won't put up with sound doctrine. They won't put up with what is righteous and what is right and what is holy. They will reject it and they will reject us. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I want us all to be there. Don't you want to be there? So can we just go before the Lord? First of all, I would love to pray that God would equip us, that he would prepare us, that he would make us ready. And then I would like to pray um, for our nation and for the families that have been affected by the shooting. And, and just, I mean, just all the tragedies around us, the hurt and the pain, and we have the message of hope. So do you mind just lifting your hands? as a sign of just receiving. Lord, we come into your presence, Lord, with thanksgiving in our hearts. We come into your court with praise and we thank you that you are good. Lord, we thank you that your promise is never to leave us, never to forsake us. Lord, your promise is that if we stand firm to the end, we will be saved. Lord, you have warned us, you have prepared us. And God, we just ask right now, purify us, Lord. Make us more in your image, Lord. We just want to shed those things, God, that, that um, deter from your glory. Lord, we want to put off those things, Lord, that um, take away from who you are in our lives. God, we want to shine for your glory because you are worthy. God, you are worth it. Lord, and we thank you, Lord, that we are chosen. Lord, that we are not forsaken. Lord, that, that we are called to be ambassadors for you. Lord, make us ready. Prepare us. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, Lord, that we would yearn so much for your presence, God, that we would not be satisfied with the things of this world. Lord, we would only be satisfied with you, with your glory. God, let us shine. Let us shine with the joy that comes from knowing you, the joy of our salvation. Lord, let us know the grace and the hope and let us share it, Lord God. 
Let us be messengers for your glory, regardless of the cost. And Lord, we recognize the cost could be our very lives. We understand that, Lord. We know we will be persecuted. God, but we thank you for the hope that if we stand firm to the end, we will be saved. And so, Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your strength and your power. Cause us to yearn for your word. Cause us to long to know you, Lord, through your word, through the Bible. And Lord, we also just want to lift up the families that are involved in these tragedies. Lord, these shootings, Lord, your word is, you've warned us. Lord, there would be the increase of wickedness and that the love of most would grow cold. You've warned us, Lord. And so we just want to be uh, found in you. We want to be known as yours. We want to be your ambassadors, Lord. And we pray for these families that you would comfort them. Lord, we ask that you would send workers, you would send godly people into their lives to offer them hope, even in the midst of their grief and their sorrow. And Lord, we just thank you and we bless you and we praise you because you hold all things in your hands and you are good. Lord, you are good. Even though we have all these questions, we wonder about all these things, we know that you are good and you are faithful and you are just and you are trustworthy. So we honor and we glorify your name right now in Jesus' name.